Turn with me in your copy of God's Word to the final page of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28, beginning in verse 17, hear now the word of the living God. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go, because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain." Then they said to him, We neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets, from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed. After Paul had said one word, the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute amongst themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. This is the word of the living God, and we say, thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Now, living God, we pray that once more you would incline our hearts to hear, to receive, to be convicted and comforted by your scriptures. This final hour of corporate worship together on this final Lord's Day of the year, we pray that you would encourage our hearts. And should you grant us life and breath for tomorrow and beyond, we pray that we would have the strength from your word that we need to go forth and to speak boldly of Christ. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The story of Acts is a glorious one, and it ends with the Apostle Paul having two whole years in the biggest city in the world to preach Christ unfettered. Oh, he was indeed fettered. He was, as it were, chained in house arrest. 
But he had unfettered access to disciple believers and to preach to the lost. In God's providence, his certain providence, in the very last page of the book of Acts, we see a free Paul, free to proclaim Christ. The days were uncertain, but there was indeed a very certain providence. It's this certain providence that I want to speak about this evening as we close our time and indeed our year together. How did we get here in the book of Acts? Well, just to remind you of the 28 chapters of the book of Acts, by the time you get to this section of Scripture, a lot has happened. You remember, boys and girls, that Jesus ascended to the right hand of God and that some Days following this, the Lord Christ sent His Spirit as He promised upon His church, that Pentecost day, when thousands came to Christ and the Spirit fell on the church. The Holy Spirit was given. Not that He never regenerated believers of old, but that the Spirit of Christ had now fallen in new power and new work on His church. And thus, when we get to the first few verses of Acts chapter 1, we see that Christ says shortly before His ascension that you will be My witnesses and you will bear witness of Me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. And this verse, Acts 1.8, really becomes an outline for how to read the book of Acts for In Acts chapter 2, we see the gospel going forward in Jerusalem. In Samaria, we see the gospel going forward, Acts chapter 8. To the Gentiles, the gospel goes forward in Acts chapter 10 and beyond. So that by the time we get to the end of this work, the gospel really has gone forward to the uttermost parts of the world. For Rome was the greatest of all cities. And it was in Rome where all the ships and all the roads found their connecting points. But the story in God's providence moves, doesn't it? In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is martyred. They kill him by throwing stones at him, crushing him because of his faith in Christ. Stephen, the first martyr, one of the first deacons of Christ's church. In Acts chapter 9, Paul is converted from Saul to Paul. His name is changed, and he becomes God's witness, the witness of Christ to the Gentiles. In fact, Paul and Barnabas are sent out in Acts chapter 13. But gospel issues have to be addressed, don't they? In Acts chapter 15, there is a council called. Gentiles are now coming to Christ. It's not just Hebrews. It's not just Old Covenant people. Gentiles are coming to Christ. What do we ask them to obey? How do we ask them to live their lives? The Jerusalem Council is called in Acts 15. Following this, Paul picks up Timothy. And then in Acts chapter 16, he has that famous Macedonian call. You remember that glorious vision. Come over and help us. Imagine being an apostle, a missionary of the living God, and having a vision wherein you see This call, come over and help us. The gospel goes forward to Thessalonica. 
in Acts 17, to Corinth in Acts 18, to Ephesus in Acts 19. In fact, Ephesus becomes a centerpiece, if you will, of the book of Acts because the gospel goes there in Acts 19. But Paul spends some two years there in Ephesus, Acts 19, verse 10. You can read of his time there in these verses. Acts 19, verses 20 to 22. But eventually there is a riot in Ephesus. And Paul leaves and goes to Macedonia, to Greece. But he comes back and he has this wonderful pastoral moment with the Ephesian elders. You remember, they follow him out to the ship. They know that they won't see him again. They're weeping. This is the apostle that they've known. What pastoral wisdom will he give? What last seminary lecture will he issue to them? He says, I commend you to God and to the Word. Then he has that famous section where he tells them to shepherd the flock of God. The flock for which the blood of God was spilt. But then in Acts chapter 21, you read these words of Paul. They become important for our text. Acts chapter 21 verse 13. Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. Paul says, I'm ready to die for the name of Christ. Paul goes to Jerusalem, he is arrested and is eventually put on trial before a council, Felix, Agrippa, and then as a Roman citizen, he appeals to Caesar and he makes his journey to Rome. That journey is an interesting one. You can read of it in chapters 26 and 27 of Acts. There is a shipwreck which seems to be so limiting, seems to be such a hiccup, but another island hears of Christ. The island of Malta. And following that shipwreck and that reception at Malta, we get to Acts 28, verse 11, the final chapter of the book of Acts. The text there says, After three months we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered at the island. And landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there we circled round and reached Regium. And after one day the south wind blew, and the next day we came to Puteoli, where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Apiforum and three inns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Isn't that interesting? On his way to Rome to appeal to Caesar as a Roman citizen, he has the hospitality experience of believers. Notice the reception. They hear of Paul and his journey, and they, brothers and sisters in the faith, go out to meet him. Isn't this what hospitality really means? Love of stranger. And in the New Testament, it's often associated with caring for missionaries, for traveling Christians. And notice in verse 15... 
Paul is encouraged. He's strengthened. Perhaps it's passages like these that ought to remind us of the benefit of shared fellowship with believers in the faith. True fellowship, not discussing football scores, politics, the best way to build a shed out back, but true fellowship where the discussion and the time is spent largely reminding yourselves together of who you are in Christ and what he's done. Well, Then we get to our text, the final passage in the book of Acts. There we see Paul in verse 17 and following, testifying of the kingdom. Testifying of the kingdom. Verse 23, when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God. This phrase, testifying of the kingdom, is a little bit of a theme in the book of Acts. It's kind of a summary phrase. Go all the way back to Acts chapter 1. You will see that same phrase there at the beginning of the book. There we read this. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. I don't know if you've put this together in your minds before, but when we preach Christ, when we proclaim the kingdom, we're proclaiming what Christ has proclaimed. We are Christ's emissaries. Well, the text in verse 23 says that Paul is testifying of the kingdom, persuading them concerning Jesus. Now, these are Hebrews. You remember, he's met Jews. He's persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. Paul is taking up the Old Testament, the scripture of the time, and he's preaching Christ. Yes, this ought to remind us that Christ is the ultimate message of the Old Testament. But notice that word there, persuading, persuading. This is so often the task that we take up, persuading. Yes, we believe in the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. We believe, don't we, that the Scripture teaches that no one will respond to the gospel proclamation without the work of the Spirit. But there is often a persuading that we do. We speak of Christ And sometimes that conversation can be a conversation had over many months and years. Perhaps you've just experienced that in this past week. The holiday time, you're gathered with family and friends. And once again, you are talking with them of the things that you've talked of before. Seeking to gently persuade them of who Christ is. There are, of course, seasons for us to quickly, in 60, 120 seconds, to give a gospel presentation. But there are also seasons where we seek to work to persuade people of Christ. Well, the text continues, doesn't it? Paul quotes from the Old Testament. And he says, essentially, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah is found to be true. Because you, Hebrews, you, Jews, largely will not hear 
of this Christ. Look at verse 25. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers. And then there is that passage from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, where they won't hear. They won't receive the word of God. But then in verse 28, we read this. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. Now, here in verse 28, it's the salvation of God. Back in verse 23, it's the kingdom of God. This ought to help us put some pieces together. The kingdom of God comes through the salvation that God brings in Christ. Christ is the one who brings the kingdom of God. And the Old Testament points to all of it. But then, we find Paul in the last two verses of the book of Acts. The Jews have departed, and so what happens? Look there with me, verse 30. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house, received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Now Luke, the writer of Acts, leaves us with this as the closing picture of Paul's ministry. It's rather a triumphant picture because if you've read the book of Acts up to this point, there has been all manner of glorious things. Thousands coming to Christ in a day. The church having sweet communion. The church sending out apostolic missionaries, churches being planted in multiple cities, snakes biting the hands of apostles, and they live, and an island full of people say, we want to hear what you have to say, for it seems as though your God is miraculous. Shipwreck, bearing witness to God before the kings of the earth, that's the book of Acts. And here, At the very end, after a long journey, Paul is in Rome. Now, he's in his own rented house, and he receives all who come to him. What is not told to us here in this particular section is that he likely was under house arrest, meaning that there was a Roman guard assigned to him for this period of time. What did he do during this two whole years of uncertainty? I mean, there you are for two years. You have absolute freedom to preach of Christ, but you have a minister, as it were, of the state watching your every move. You're waiting at any point to make your defense before Caesar. Caesar has the power to kill you. This is certainly a time of uncertainty, and yet there's a certain providence behind it. Just so you know what Paul did in those two days, besides discipling believers and preaching Christ, he wrote the book of Ephesians, the book of Philippians, the book of Colossians. He wrote Philemon. But notice the spirit in which we find Paul. With all confidence, no one forbidding him. Brothers and sisters, sometimes we get embarrassed to speak of Christ at the water cooler at our workplace because we're afraid someone might hear us. Here, Paul is preaching Christ boldly with Rome right in his house. 
Luke leaves us with the opinion that the apostolic message is going forward. This is how it ends. The message is going forward, unfettered. Paul might be fettered, but the message is not unfettered. Paul eventually, depending on scholarly interpretation, will be released briefly. He will travel and then will face rearrest and death. At the end of the book of Acts, at the end of all the things that have happened, there seems to be uncertainty, but yet a message of very certain providence. I want us to consider the uncertain days, but the certain providence in three simple ways as we close this evening. All of these things hinge on the fact that Paul is now nearing the end of his journey. Much lies behind him, much like you and me at the close of this Lord's Day. Much lies behind us. There is a great spirit, isn't there? I mean, notice these two verses. He's there in his own rented house. He's able to receive all who come to him. It's as if Rome is giving him a platform to disciple and evangelize. (laughs) It's as if King Jesus, who's seated on his throne, rules over the governments of the world. He's preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord. And as his friends come to him, can you imagine the sweet unity that they experience? Brothers and sisters, I would suggest to you that while we're not under house arrest in Rome, and while we certainly don't have this much uncertainty before us, as we reflect as a church on our past year, isn't there a sense in which there's a little bit of that feeling? There's a sense in which the Lord has blessed this congregation. There's a sense in which God has added to our number. He's deepened us in the faith. People that we have longed, prayed for, have experienced the blessings of answered prayer. God has protected us. God has grown our officers. While we are certainly not the apostolic band, while we are certainly not you and me, Paul, there is this reality that much lies behind us. And so let us consider these last two verses in the book of Acts in the following three ways. The first is this. It's regarding the message that Paul is preaching, and that is this. Salvation is found only in Christ alone. Now that's a regular theme around here. It's a regular theme in the pages of Scripture. But it needs to be said. It's essentially said in this passage, is it not? In verse 28, Paul says, Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God, the kingdom of God, verse 23, has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. What is this message of salvation? Well, just a few verses earlier, what do we see Paul persuading them with? The name of Christ. Christ is the one who brings the kingdom of God. Christ is the one who brings salvation. Much earlier in the book, Acts 4.12, we read these words, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The book of Acts is chock full of the continual message that peoples and nations and lands and tribes need Christ. 
that all of humanity stands condemned before the living God, but that Christ has come to take the condemnation for all who trust in Him. And we bank our eternal hope in the light of this reality. Of all of the crescendos that could have been written at the very end of the book of Acts, we see Paul aging and preaching Christ. If I were to give you just a moment to reflect on what you want your last days to look like. Not that this last chapter of Acts is definitely Paul's last few days. But if I were to say to you, what do you want to be doing in your last days? Would Acts 28, 30, and 31 come to mind? Oh, I don't know. I want to just be able to openly and boldly talk about Jesus till I fall asleep one day and wake up in His presence. Salvation is found only in Christ alone. And we see Paul boldly proclaiming it here. In the city of all cities. This is the centerpiece of the world at that time. That Paul has open access. Now think about all the steps it took for Paul to get there. He's got open access to preach of Christ. This takes us then to our second way of considering these last few verses, and that is this. Uncertain days do not mean an uncertain God. Uncertain days do not mean an uncertain God. Rome is essentially giving Paul a platform to evangelize the largest city in the world and to strengthen believers there. Notice the twofold work. Verse 30, he's receiving all who come to him. It's almost as if he's discipling them, he's teaching them, he's training them. Verse 31, no one forbidding him in the preaching of the kingdom of God. He's discipling and he's evangelizing. In Acts chapter 20, we read these words. The Lord prepared Paul in advance. There in Acts 20, we hear Paul saying this, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, has Holy Spirit revelation wherein he knows that tribulations await him. Now, you may think that you're living in uncertain days, difficult days, with trials ahead, but Paul knew that the Holy Spirit had told him, it's going to be difficult for you. It would have been really tempting to think that God had forsaken him when you have a soldier basically chained to your side. It really would have been tempting to think that for Days and weeks as you're out on the open sea and it looks like you're going to die in the waters that finally the Lord Jesus had given up on you. When a viper bites your hand, it's really tempting to think this is it. When people stone you 
when people speak ill of you. Very uncertain days. Every day for Paul was a day of trial and suffering. And yet, here at the end, what do we see? Paul is ready. Ready. Because he trusts in the Lord. Now, you remember in the other New Testament letters, we often hear that Paul yearned to go to Rome for gospel expanse. And now he's there. The Lord God took him there, but through difficult providences, shipwrecks, trials, having to appeal, facing death at any moment. You think you might be tempted? I think I might be tempted in those moments to say these uncertain days mean that God's providence is uncertain. Not for the Apostle Paul. Uncertain days did not in any way mean an uncertain God. Do you trust, brother or sister, that in this new year that God's providences for your life will be good even if they appear to be gloomy? In 1774, a man who knew great suffering, at times great mental anguish, a man by the name of William Cooper wrote these words. Sometimes they're sung. God moves in a mysterious way His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps in the sea. And rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. And then I love this line. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. You see, we read these last two verses at the end of the book of Acts and we think, ah, see, the church wins. Paul is given the ability to disciple anyone and everyone. And he's given the ability to evangelize anyone and everyone. Not thinking that what got Paul here was a lot of seeming frowning providence. A lot of uncertainty. And every single one of these days, for two whole years, Paul did not necessarily... He's not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. For two whole years, every single morning... He could have gotten up and thought to himself, today could be the day that I die. We read these last two verses and they're certain for us. Christ wins and his church moves forward. And that was the trust that Paul had even though every single day of these two years he got up then it could have been his last. You think about Paul there when the Roman guard or guards would come and check on him. Is today going to be it? We read this glorious message from above, don't we? 
Here, Christ's chief emissary to the Gentiles is free to preach Christ. But from Paul's perspective, it'd be really tempting with every knock at the door, with every letter, with every unsealing of the seal of Caesar's emissaries to think, what's going to happen now? Brothers and sisters, isn't that our life? Except for us, it's not knocks on the door. It might be what's on the news What we read online, we do live in uncertain days, it seems. But that does not mean an uncertain God. God is providing for His people, and He's fulfilling His promises. As a church, then, we should consider thirdly, I think a lesson we see in these last two verses, and that is this. The gospel will not be bound. Verses 30 and 31 give us the apostolic summary of the end. We're meant to see this as a theme. The very first chapter of the book of Acts, what do we read? Christ Himself telling His disciples, You will be my witnesses. Here in Jerusalem, in Judea, and a little further out to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. And in the very last chapter of this book, what do we see? The gospel has gone to, as it were, the uttermost part of the world. And there Paul has unfettered access to preach Christ. In Rome, under an emperor that wanted nothing to do with Christ and Him crucified. Doesn't it seem to you at every single moment in our current climate that the world wants less and less to do with Christ? Don't you look around and you think to yourself, I don't even know what world I'm living in. Christy and I were driving in the car the other day and I didn't necessarily mean for this to be an age-related joke, but I just happened to comment to her. I said, the older I get, the less I'm... I don't even recognize the world and certain generations anymore. What's becoming of this, that, or the other? We look at various issues, the abortion issue, the LGBTQ issue, the confusion over gender, governments, wars all around us, uncertain days, and it seems as though if we read the statistics, less and less people in the world want anything to do with Christ. And yet I would submit to you, brothers and sisters, On this last day of 2023, Christ and His kingdom is very much here on earth an Acts 28, 30, and 31 kind of kingdom. The gospel is not being bound. And God will not forsake His promise. What do we see in Revelation 7, 9 through 12? We see... Thousands upon thousands, millions upon millions, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. Worthy is the Lamb. We need to remember that the Gospel is not bound in this day of gloom. The ballot box, the abortion clinic, the male or female locker room, They are not the barometer on Christ and His kingdom. We need not fear that God will change His mind on the picture we see at the end of the Bible. 
We live and we share the gospel in the light of this reality. Notice as well in this text that Paul experienced what many of you experience when you evangelize. Some believe, some disbelieve. You'll allow me to say it this way. If it was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it's good enough for you. This will be your record in evangelism. You preach Christ on the street, in the workplace, in your neighborhood long enough, some will believe by the grace of God and some will disbelieve. That's the end. That's where we're at. This is the pattern in our day, just like the Apostle Paul's. So I would submit to you that perched here in, quite frankly, the biggest and strongest country in the world is the church to which you belong. Not that America is necessarily any more important than any other nation of the world, but we are sort of the Rome of our day. And here in 2023, by God's grace, you and I have unfettered access to do what? To receive all who come to us and to preach the kingdom of God. The state, insofar as it stands today, is not prohibiting us from receiving all who come to us and from preaching the kingdom of Christ. I would submit to you that the picture is not gloomy or bleak, but strong. As we close this year as a church, we may be sensing this joyful thanksgiving of God's work among us. One of the blessings we have as a church, one of the blessings of community is that you get to rejoice in what God does, not only in your own life, but in the lives of others. In many ways, God has been very kind to this church in this calendar year. But we do seem to live in uncertain days. So tomorrow... If we wake up and Christ has not come back, the calendar will tell us that we're in a new year. And the question will be, will God's providence be good for us then? And the answer is yes. Yes, it will be. For here we sit in our own rented house. And we can receive any who come to us. And even though we don't know what will happen day by day, we are free to disciple them, to preach the kingdom of God and teach them the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can do it by the Spirit's grace, with all confidence. Brothers and sisters, we're not apostles. Far from it. But Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31 are not just about the Apostle Paul. 
it's really a picture of our day and our time as well. So as we close this Lord's Day and this calendar year with a wonderful spirit of God's work among us, yes, we live in uncertain days, but don't for a moment question that in it all, God has a very certain providence for this church and for our lives. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen our souls by the hope that we see in uncertain times. When the days in which we live seem so bleak and dark, help us to remember the practical lessons of this last few verses of the book of Acts. That your gospel is not bound, that it has gone to the uttermost parts of the world, that we are witnesses for you, and until you call us home, we have all confidence to continue to receive all who come and to preach Christ. We pray even in what seems to be frowning providences that you would remind us of the goodness of our God whose certain promises are more sure than our fleeting doubts and fears. May it be well with our souls, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.